Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This Star News Media Podcast is presented by North Chase Family Dentistry. Open evenings, Saturdays, and they probably take your insurance. Visit them on the web at NorthChaseFamilyDentistry.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cape Fear Unearthed, a podcast from Star News Media. I am your host, Hunter Ingram, and I'm a reporter for the Star News here in Wilmington, North Carolina. When you're not listening to me talk about history, you can read my byline on coverage of the city, the local film and television industry, and my weekly TV Hunter column. This week, we're going to grab our shovel and dig into another story from the Cape Fear history books of persisting legends, historical oddities, and mysterious figures. As always, I'm going to share with you the story as it has been passed down through history and told through legend, and then I'm going to bring in someone from the community with knowledge of our tale to discuss the impact of the story and whether or not history can be trusted. So settle in for this episode of Cape Fear Unearthed as we ignite the charred history of disastrous fires in Wilmington. History long ago branded Wilmington as the port city, an entry point and haven for sailors, soldiers, merchants, and immigrants since it was settled and incorporated as a town in the 1700s. But in its second century, Wilmington also gained another reputation as a city scorched repeatedly by fire. More than a few times throughout the 1800s and even into the 1900s, the city was plagued by devastating fires that ripped from it its earliest and sometimes most lavish structures, the material possessions of its residents, and parts of a legacy it was only starting to build. In the 19th century, Wilmington was a city built largely of wood and on its exports, including cotton, spirits, and turpentine, all of which were highly flammable with the right spark. On November 11, 1819, that spark is said to have began in the back of a small grocery store on Dock Street, and then spread for several blocks across what is now Princess, Water, and Second Streets. All told, the fire claimed more than 300 homes and buildings, including a church, from the city that wasn't even 100 years old yet. It would cost more than half a million dollars in damage, the equivalent of what is nearly $10 million today. Even in the first half of the 19th century, Wilmington was already gaining its fiery reputation. An article in the Raleigh Register the day after the 1819 fire stated, Wilmington has experienced more fires than any other place in the Union. And yet, some of the worst destruction was yet to come. On April 30th, 1843, a fire broke out on the north side of town that would cripple the Wilmington and Weldon Railroad Company, which just a few years prior had made Wilmington its home in 1840. The fire, according to a report in James Brunt's Chronicles of the Cape Fear, started in the back of the Cape Fear Bank building and scorched everything north of Princess Street. But most devastatingly, it hit the railroad company hard, tearing through its warehouses and buildings and torching multiple locomotives 
and rail cars, but they all paled in comparison to 1886. On the morning of Sunday, February 21st, the steamer Bladen arrived back into port from a trip upriver to Fayetteville, carrying with it a litany of cargo, including cotton, on board. As she made her approach, a fire ignited below deck among the bells of cotton. When the flames took hold of the bow of the ship, the crew began feverishly steering her back out into the water, away from the wooden port, where they must have known even a gentle kiss from the embers would prove dangerous. Despite their efforts, the cinders from the fire fluttering in the wind were carried to land and lit the waterfront ablaze. Reports from the day say several blocks of Water Street were engulfed in flames within minutes. Swift efforts from the local firemen weren't enough to calm the blaze, as fire and wind paired off and ripped through the city. Among the first victims of the flames were communication lines, cutting the city off from neighboring towns and counties it could call for help, leaving townspeople to make the journey on horseback to rally assistance in the fiery battle. As smoke and fire filled the streets and skyline, the townspeople were forced to flee for safety and watch their city burn, which it did for what is said to have been three days. The flames didn't discriminate in their rampage. They bowled through stores and offices, ravaged boats sitting in the water, and cut up wharves and through the streets. The Front Street Methodist Church at Front and Walnut Streets, built in 1844, was gutted in short order. The St. Barnabas Schoolhouse in what is now the Brooklyn Arts District crumbled under the weight of the heat, and it was a particularly destructive event in the black neighborhoods on the north side. Two days later, the Wilmington Weekly Star recounted in detail the damage of the fire in an article that began with a striking statement. The city was visited Sunday afternoon last by the most dangerous conflagration probably ever known in its history. With the number of fires that plagued the city consistently for more than a century, that statement is up for debate. But the sentiment is clear. Fire took something from Wilmington. What could we still have of the city's earliest years if not for the scourge of fire? Buildings that could have become landmarks, people who could have made history, and precious artifacts from its formative years. Wilmington is a city defined by its port, its natural beauties, and in this case, a history forged in fire. Joining me now is Beverly Tedderton, a retired research librarian and archivist here in Wilmington. She's been a guest on our show before. Thank you so much for joining me again, Beverly. Nice to see you, Hunter. So let's talk about Wilmington and fires. When I was researching this episode, I found a lot of little stories and big stories of fires throughout Wilmington's history. And I just found that kind of fascinating of why was this town so prone to fires? Why was it so flammable in, in you know, at least the 1800s when I saw a lot of these happen? What do you know about that? Why, why would that have happened? Well, one reason was because it was a port and the Cape Fear River was lined with wharves and ships were coming and going, carrying naval stores, which is tar pitch, turpentine, and then later cotton. All of this is very flammable. Um, some fires were caused by lightning. Things like that could happen, hurricanes, lightning. In the 18th century, it was chimney fires. Most of the houses were wooden, and um, the chimneys would get clogged. And it got to the point where the town commissioners said, we need to hire a chimney sweep, but they didn't have enough money to do it. 
So they told people that they had to, to unclog their own chimneys, and if they didn't, they'd get fined. And But they did buy ladders and buckets. A lot of the ladders got stolen. The buckets had people would write their names on the bucket so if it was used for a fire it could be returned to them so it was always like a problem um and the they bought their first fire engine from england in 1754 okay and then after that they started buying fire engines from philadelphia and other charleston and other atlantic ports um one of the Worst fires was in 1819, and that's when President James Monroe visited Wilmington. And shortly after he left, 300 houses and and buildings burned, including First Presbyterian Church. And then later that year, they had a yellow fever epidemic. It wasn't a good year for Wilmington. That was not a good year for Wilmington. You know... As I mentioned, I saw a lot of them, and, and we briefly discussed several of these before we started recording, but what are some of these notable fires that that you know kind of were in, had an impact on Wilmington? Well, I guess one, one of the major ones was in 1843 in April when a good portion of the town uh, burned down. Uh, and also, it had to do with gale force winds. You know, we're close to the ocean, and sometimes we have very windy days. And it spread uh, from the port. 200 houses were destroyed, as well as the workshop of the Wilmington and Weldon Railroad. Um, five locomotives and boxcars were also destroyed. Now, you've got to remember that the railroad just began in 1840. And three years later, everything that they've done is destroyed by fire. Wow. And so no wonder two years... And they said it was something like $300,000 of damage in the town. That's a lot of money. In 1843. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money now. And that would make sense that two years later... And then in 1845, there was another fire that burned down what they rebuilt of the railroad. So it's no wonder that in 1847 they begin having volunteer fire departments. As they should have. And they begin building, you know, firehouses. Uh, so that 1843 fire was was a pretty bad one. Um, there was one in 1864, uh, a fire on Princess Street that burned the county jail. Is that the one you found out about? I did. I saw that one. And six prisoners escaped. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't actually know that six prisoners escaped, though. I just heard that it had it had engulfed the the prison. Yeah. Or the county jail. And they got them all out, but six of them escaped. Hey, they used their opportunity when they could, I guess. All right. And then the big, another huge one, of course, is um, February twenty third, eighteen eighty six, when at two o'clock in the afternoon, the steamer Bladen, um, carrying cotton and naval stores, caught on fire at the foot of Chestnut Street. Yeah, and and that's one of the bigger ones, and that was included in the story that I had before this of just how, and I think that was a, a trend in, in a lot of these of how widespread they were. You know, once it started. It really started engulfing a lot, and uh, and so I think that that's a that's kind of notable in in looking at all of these. Of you know, you, you think of a house fire now, it being um, you know kind of contained. If if a fire truck can get there or a fireman can get there and and get it under control, it can be contained. But these were widespread. These were burning 
massive portions of what was Wilmington at the time. Well, if you can imagine a warehouse full of cotton mm-hmm. or uh, wharves full of barrels of turpentine, these are highly flammable. Mm-hmm. And if the wind's blowing and the cinders are flying, that one burned the entire waterfront, all the offices, all the warehouses. It burned Front Street, big houses, little um, houses burned. Uh, they said it was so hot at the railroad that the um, iron rails melted. Wow. And then it went up Harnett Street where there were a lot of poor tenements, burned 250 tenements. Wow. And people were throwing their furniture and their clothes in the street, hoping to save it. And most people just got away with their lives and what they had on their backs. Mm. Um, Rich people, poor people, all people. Fires don't discriminate. Nope. And the Front Street Methodist Church burned, too. Yeah, and and I I knew about that one because that was pretty notable in in the story I I read. It's just, it, it seems so striking to to think about how ravenous these these fires were and how much they're burning what does that mean for the city itself that it it, so much of it burned and then it would burn again did it hinder it in many ways of having to rebuild it there's very little left of that early area uh, that early period uh, particularly the 18th century we have some brick buildings that have survived um, from the early or from the 18th and the 19th century, but not very many of them. Yeah. And uh, that particular fire smoldered for three days. And the telegraph operator, uh, well, the telephone telegraph lines were burned. And the telegraph officer operator somehow made it outside of Wilmington and telegraphed Goldsboro and Florence, South Carolina, and they sent fire trucks. To help put out that fire. They had enough time to get from Goldsboro. Yeah. Three in- days. Wow. It was still smoldering. Wow. That was a terrible fire. And um, I don't know if you read about this one, um, but there was one in 1955 where a warehouse, an oil terminal warehouse, caught a fire on um, the north the north end of town, sort of like around where the um, convention center is now, mm-hmm. and it burned a quarter of a mile of warehouses. And uh, there are actual photographs of it. Uh, Hugh Morton got up in an airplane and took photographs of it, mm-hmm. and it was there were thirty million dollars damage done in that fire. Wow, that was in the middle of the ni- in, 1900s. In the 1950s. Now, in that one, um, there were 18 p- people injured, but nobody died. And that's really what's kind of unusual in all of my research. I find out that that most people are pretty smart. They got out, and they didn't die. Where in a lot of It seems like yeah. today, people do die Yeah, uh, more. So, And then um, the last big one that I was thinking about was when Sutton Council furniture burned and the cotton exchange burned in 1974. Okay, what happened in that one? Uh, There was a hotel, you know, where the big hole is Mm -hmm. next to the cotton exchange. There was a hotel there that burned. Um, Sears Roebuck burned. Uh, If you look at photographs of it, there's ceilings collapsed and burned and it's just amazing that they rebuilt it into the cotton exchange 
Sounds that one sounds pretty devastating too. It, it's just again when I was looking at these, there were there are few that you've just mentioned that I didn't even see, and I saw so many. It's just it it seems like Wilmington just couldn't catch a break when it came to fires, no. and and obviously you know every town has a, a lot of, of fires in its history, but it just seems like Wilmington really just had a bad streak of luck for about 150 years. Well, I think it had a lot to do with naval stores and cotton, and. Um, I don't know if you know this, but we have had one of the first fireboats in the United States of America. Really? Because so many fires happened out on the water. And so, um, yeah, we our fireboats go way back. And there, there used to be fireboat stations, at, you know, along the waterfront. Um, so the firemen could easily get out of the... Uh, station, jump in the boat and go. We still have a fireboat. Wow. Well, and it sounds like it. it they were lucky they were able to get the the fire engine when they did because it sounds like it was put to good use mm-hmm. uh, as they were putting out all these fires. But you also mentioned with all of these fires, they weren't. They didn't really claim tons and tons of lives. It was really the property that suffered the brunt of the damage uh, throughout the 1800s. I mean, there wasn't that many people. And you're right, I find that unusual just because if they were so, uh, again, ravenous, you know, they're, they're, they're just really claiming so much land, you think they would catch people in their path, but I'm glad they didn't. Yeah. Most of the fires that you read about where people die or, you know, it's like a little girl with a long dress on that gets too close to the the chimney, yeah. you know, the fireplace, and catches on fire, or there's a fire in a single building and somebody's upstairs yeah. and succumbs to the smoke. But as far as, you know, large numbers of people on these huge fires, there just weren't that many. Well, and if nothing else, it sounds like these burned so long and, and they they probably ran through the streets telling people, get out of your yeah. houses, it's coming. And so uh, it sounds like there was at least a little bit of forewarning there. Yeah, that's why the fire departments have bells. Yeah. <laughs> so people don't have to run. <laughs> um, well, Beverly, thank you so much for talking to me. Okay, I appreciate this it. this has been fun. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of Cape Fear Unearthed and the History of Wilmington Fires. Thank you so much for joining me. Check back next Thursday for a new episode where we will explore another tale from the history books. Until then, we want to hear from you, the listener, about what story you think we should cover on a future episode. Be sure to email us your favorite local tale to capefearunearthed at gmail.com. The final episode this season is going to be a listener-submitted topic, and it could be yours. Also, be sure to share your thoughts on this week's episode on Twitter with the hashtag CFUnearthed. You can also join our Facebook group, where I will be posting extra content like pictures pertaining to each week's episode and more as the season progresses. You can find that group by searching Kate Fear Unearthed on Facebook. Finally, you can find a list of all the books, articles, and resources used in researching this podcast in the show notes. Cape Fear Unearthed is written, edited, and hosted by me, Hunter Ingram. You can find more of my work at starnewsonline.com and on Twitter at Hunter Ingram SN. Until next week, get out and explore the Cape Fear region on your own. What you learn might just surprise you.